I've come to have a love hate relationship with that, with being uncomfortable where it's like, I'm excited to jump into the next uncomfortable thing because I know what it's going to do for me. But that yeah. doesn't mean that I'm not still like anxious and worried going through it. You know what I mean? Like I, I know it's nece- it's like a necessary evil. So I am like at a, in, in one sense, you know, yeah, let's do it. But at the same time, I'm still like, man, this really better work out. Like, cause... <laughs> <laughs> You're listening to Slick Talk, the hospitality podcast, a podcast for those who are in and around the hospitality industry who love, live, and breathe what they do. You can join us for candid and unscripted conversations with hospitality experts and founders as we go deeper into their personal stories while they're sharing their triumphs and trials that got them to where they are today. I'm your host, Will Slickers, and you're listening to an episode of Slick Talk, the hospitality podcast. Now, let's begin. All right, Nathan, welcome back to A Minute with Minute on Slick Talk. And we're going to jump into the question today of what is the biggest misunderstanding when it comes to what Minute does and doesn't do? Great question, Will. I I think the biggest misunderstanding is probably that we do more than just noise. Uh, I know we'll cover that in another Minute with Minute. So for now, I'm going to major specifically on the noise feature itself. Many people think that we can let you know when there's noise in your unit and that's the end. But what we can actually do uh, with our pro account is import the data for your guests when they're staying, what's their phone number, et cetera, and then allow you to automate communication with that guest when there's a noise event. So what we hear from many of our users is after sending even one text message to the guests, letting them know that there's noise, they tend to quiet down because they don't realize that they're being noisy. So in many cases, if you use our automation, you may actually resolve the problem with no input from yourself, just an automated message from the system asking them to quiet down, and then the noise issue is over. I love it. You heard it here first, folks. A minute with minute, and now back to the episode. All right, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of Slick Talk, the hospitality podcast. And I'm excited because you may have heard this guy's voice on the podcast when we did our little short-term rental wealth conference recap. But this guy is so cool. I had to reach out individually and be like, hey, I need your agent to book time on my calendar so you can do this. (laughs) Just kidding. But Brian Hatcher, the real estate hacker, that's a a mouthful. You are the founder of Elite Escapes and you do something very unique that I've never heard of or covered on the podcast. I'm so excited to have you on. So Brian Hatcher, my friend, before we jump in, how are you doing? And welcome to the podcast. I'm doing well, doing really well. And thank you for having me, Will. Uh, it's funny, you know, I feel like those connections that we had online, even back from like the clubhouse days, getting to meet a lot of those people in person from clubhouse yeah. to, you know, Instagram to Facebook, and then in person, of all the people, I, I, I have to say, you've been one of my favorite people that I got to meet in real life. So it's a pleasure to be on your platform. Dude, don't make me blush. If you guys are watching the live view, I'm going to be turning red here real quick. If you're listening, just know I'm I'm red as a lobster anyway. So Brian, my man, dude, it was funny because we met at the apartment where we we're all staying. We we're kind of like a creator house going at this conference. But I was like, we shook hands. You're like, dude, we met last year in person too. I was like, oh, we did. I don't remember. Like, I remember like so much stuff happens virtually. 
that I'm like, oh man, I've met Brian, but I just, yeah, it always blurred with me. So apologies for that. I, I know we met last year, but we got to hang out <laughs> for real, for real this yeah, year. We just shook hands great. last time. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It was just a very quick pass of the hand, shake, goodbye. But dude, I, I want to jump in. Where does it begin for you? Because I, I know a lot of people have a very similar phrase of like, I stumbled into short-term rentals or I stumbled into the vacation rental industry or accidentally discovered it and for you i want to know was it an accident or was it intentional it was an accident i feel like for most people it ends up being an accident because it's not something that is just like top of mind when it comes to real estate i think it wasn't at least i think today it is but i mean years ago people knew about vacation rentals you know whether you go to like the Mm -hmm. typical smoky mountains or the beach kind of thing but people didn't really consider them in the context of even just like normal cities and tier two markets and just how big of a business opportunity that was. So I stumbled into it by, I feel like the way a lot of people stumble into it by listening to podcasts and social media, but I was already into real estate. I was already doing the long-term rental game, trying to do the house hacking. Once I got that first podcast about short-term rentals, it flipped my whole perspective upside down. I was like, I'm changing courses. This is the way to go. (laughs) Mm. So give me an inside scoop on house hacking. How does that work? And for, for you, once you discover the short-term rental side, you know what were the biggest changes that you had to make in your business to, to make that happen? House hacking is the process of purchasing a home, whether it's a multifamily home or a single-family home, and using it for the purpose of living in it and renting out some sort of other portion of it to uh, help cover some of your mortgage. So mm. you can do it in multiple ways, you know, the most optimal way, I guess you'd say that people look for is getting a multifamily home, whether that's a duplex, triplex, quadplex, live in one unit and rent out the others. Typically, the more units you you can often get paid to live, you know, where you're living. But you can even do it on a small scale with a single family home. If maybe you don't have the capital or there's not a lot of multifamily properties in your market, you can just get a large, you know, three or four bedroom home, rent out the other bedrooms, whether it be some coworkers or some friends. And that's still a house hack. You know, you're able to cover some of that mortgage. So I personally like to do an in-between method of buying a single family home and manufacturing it into a duplex. So that can be having a single family home that has an in-law suite that you can maybe bolster up to be like a full living apartment or a split level home that you finish the basement out to be a true apartment. And then you can just kind of set dividers and blocks between the upstairs and downstairs and you have two units. So, um, you know, you can get a lower down payment and you can get better interest rates by doing the single family home route. So that's typically what I like to do when it comes to house hacking. Man, that's, that's knowledgeable right there. I love it. We don't normally go into like how to's and, and deep dives of kind of like, you know, how to house hack, Like We normally, that's not the type of episode. It's all about your story and, and that, but I, I find that very interesting. So I'm curious going from house hacking doing long-term real estate, where does Elite Escapes come in? I love the name. I love that it's EE. Like I'm very much a fan of a very easy to remember names. We're recreation rentals. So we do the RR. I like it. I like it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I know Ruben not only does invested talent, but he does invested. What was his? Um, invested his Escapes. Invested Escapes. Yeah. 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 I like that. 
So that's cool. Yeah. So Elite Escapes actually took a really long time to even become a company. When it comes to Elite Escapes, because of the, the structure of what kind of company it is, it's, you know, timeshare arbitrage for short-term rentals. And it takes a long time to even acquire a timeshare contract or deed, you know, especially when you're doing a transfer between you and another buyer on the secondary market. So it, it took me, even just from like initiating the deal and closing the deal, it took almost nine months just to close on the deal. So I wasn't even able to launch until the beginning of 2022, but it was something that I was working on all throughout the beginning of 2021. So <laughs> it was it Dang. took a long time to come to come to pass, but uh, it, it definitely was worth it. So were you doing normal short like because okay, so timeshare arbitrage is a brand new concept for me. And I remember us being at a what do you call this a speakeasy in Nashville. And you were telling <laughs> me about this. And I was like, dude, what the heck is this? This is crazy. So <laughs> in the in the time being before launching Elite Escapes with timeshare arbitrage, what were you doing normal like single family, multifamily property management or kind of I yeah, we I guess we have some ground to cover from. I also know your history. You were in accounting, finance and data consulting. So, yeah. I guess yeah, let's start from the beginning. Catch us up. Yeah, so I was just doing the traditional long-term rental and house hacking and I actually was in a completely different line of business. I was actually hosting and running an investment group for a number of years and real estate was kind of like my side thing. Uh, you know, I would use some of that money and other money that I was saving up to just invest in real estate, but was mainly focused on the investment group. And so that, and then I was able to convert after a long-term lease ended on the duplex, I was able to convert it finally to a short-term rental and launch that. And it started going really well. And I was at the point where I didn't know if I wanted to purchase another home to turn it into a short-term rental, or if I wanted to maybe take a different route in the short-term rental kind of space to see if I could make, make a higher income. Because I didn't feel like for the amount of capital that I was going to be spending on the next home, that it would make the kind of return that I needed to like, you know, really push the needle, you know? So at this time, I feel like every year almost has a different season of short-term rentals, but we were in the, the rental arbitrage season where arbitrage was just being pushed really heavy. So I feel like it's crossed almost everybody's mind at some point if they should jump into rental arbitrage. But it was heavy on my mind at the time. And so I decided to just go into timeshare arbitrage after learning about it through someone. But that's what really moved me from just focusing on trying to acquire and do co-hosting to specifically moving into arbitrage. I was like, I'm just going to go all in on this one method and see yeah. what happens. How did that work out for you in the sense of COVID? I know arbitrage and COVID, you know, during 2020 was not probably the best time for arbitrage, but, you know, I could be wrong. And all my listeners know I am actually a very anti-arbitrage for myself personally, just doing it. I very much like feel it's more safe and to go like the co-host management route, but I would love to hear your thoughts just on like from the arbitrage standpoint and COVID and kind of the whole craziness we went through uh, 2020 and 2021. So luckily I didn't have to deal with a lot of COVID. I, I was more so on the back end of COVID, which I think was yeah. a little unrealistically, right? Because there was all of this pent up travel demand. So yeah. Um, I, you know, I got, I got to eat good, like a lot of us short-term <laughs> rental investors, but I feel like we're, we're kind of all coming back down now to reality. <laughs> uh, but yeah, it was a really good time. I feel like, cause right when we started, we kind of like hit the ground running. I think it was something yeah. I was worried about when we were trying to close the deal because I was like, man, what if this COVID thing lasts for longer than we think? Like, is that going to be an issue? But 
fortunately with this specific model, you know, we cost is mainly on the acquisition and your yeah. recurring monthly cost, like your liability is not the same as a traditional arbitrage with a apartment complex where you might have, you know, 10 grand worth of leases to pay that month. We just have quarterly and monthly maintenance fees associated with what, whatever deed or contract we have with the timeshare network. So, which are much, much wow. lower. So, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So the timeshare arbitrage, okay. I was thinking of normal arbitrage and then you went into timeshare later. So that was a timeline mess up on my end. So <laughs> that's interesting to know timeshare arbitrage. You're just paying quarterly fees. Structure quarterly not- fees, yeah, and you do have a cost of inventory, but it's it's okay. only paid at the time you actually sell the inventory, similar to like drop shipping, right? So it's almost like I don't have to pay you for the t shirt until you buy it, I don't have to pay for that inventory until I sell it. Gotcha, that makes sense. So, walk me this is all new. We are going to turn this basically into a, a how to <laughs> podcast because I'm very, I'm very like curious. This is so crazy for me to think about. Are you working with groups like Wyndham? How do you discover the timeshare? Yeah, I guess give me, yeah, everything. <laughs> Not that I want to do it. I'm just, very <laughs> yeah. So, Wyndham and Worldmark are our primary two okay. resort network partners. We are actively trying to add on more, but kind of like I said, it it takes a while to get these things kind of into motion. And it also really depends upon the structure of the resort network and what they do and don't allow. But essentially, yeah, you acquire these different timeshare deeds and contracts. And in a traditional method, you know, a timeshare, you typically have ownership in one particular property and you might have a week or a certain number of points to use at that property. And then you can also exchange it within your network at other properties. So you have like almost like a vacation home without the cost that you can move around to different places. But the problem is that as time has gone on and things like Airbnb have exploded, a lot of timeshare owners who could never get out of their timeshares don't use them. And so there's an inventory problem with a lot of timeshare networks. So they often have rooms that are sitting empty because they're allocated to owners who aren't necessarily staying in those units. And so they often have extra bonus inventory and will do specials for other owners to have access to some of this extra inventory. Um, And a lot of times it's for the owner use, but you can also use that and sell it. You know, you could let someone else stay there and have a guest on that reservation. So um, we leverage that extra inventory that we're allocated and turn it into a business. Wow. Wow. So how do you, do you target guests and travelers in particular? And do they book a normal reservation as if they were staying at one of our homes or they have to book through kind of like this network point system kind of on the back end? I, I guess that's my question. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So no, they're booking directly with us. You know, we send Uh them a confirmation, we send them everything. And then we simply, because we have the ownership, we take that inventory and make sure that it applies to that person for the duration of their stay. So it's almost like we act as a middleman in between. Yeah. Gotcha. That makes so much more sense. Okay. Wow. That's very interesting. I never knew that could have existed and does exist. When you think about it, it's really similar to like, you know, your price lines or your hoppers or where they have partnerships with these different hotels and other places where they're aggregating their inventory. And if they're able to assist them in selling that inventory, they often have a fee that's baked in that, whether it's a commission structure or a fee that they're tacking on top of the normal nightly rate that they get from 
the hotel partner. So if you think about it, we're trying to be like our own OTA of extra inventory for resort networks. That's the way yeah. I kind of like to look at it. And when you, I feel like yeah. when people think about it that way, it's easier to digest. Like, okay, I'm going onto this website and getting to see an aggregated version of inventory and travel that I can stay at very similar to one of these other websites or OTAs. That makes so much more sense. It's just like when you and I were talking in Nashville, I was like, we're like a record label for creators. You're like, that <laughs> like yeah, that, you're like an OTA bringing aggregated inventory for travelers. Makes so much more sense. Um, wow. So I kind of want to jump in. It's very unique and it's very interesting. So it's really cool to hear that there's so much more outside of just your traditional vacation rental, short-term rental, long-term rental, mid-term rental. You know, there's all these rental pieces yeah. now at a timeshare version. It's it's really cool to see that. But, you know, your, your background, you're young. Like, I, when I found out how old you are. You know, so are you, I man. Like, I know, but like, damn, dude, like, you're 24, right? No, 26. 24? 26. Okay, still. Yeah. Damn. Like, figuring this all out, covid what was life like before? Have, have you had entrepreneurial experiences before getting into this business and real estate? Or was this kind of your first big leap and venture into it? No, I've been running entrepreneurial get rich quick schemes, quote unquote, <laughs> since, you know, I was a kid. It started out with helping me and my brother. We were just trying to like sell candy to kids at like summer camp and stuff. Like, I mean, yeah. it was always something to just try to make something extra. I remember we traded like Yu-Gi-Oh cards and Pokemon cards. I mean, it was like anything that we could kind of think about back then. And I feel like it just kind of carried all the way up. I've always enjoyed trying to create something that whether it just was, you know, added value or just kind of like built a sense of community or people around it. And yeah, I think once I kind of got to the point of graduating school and realizing, wow, I could really take this to another level and kind of building a business, it, it just kind of, you know, ran with that. But yeah. Did you have someone that showed you entrepreneurship or was it just some a natural thing where you and your brother were like, hell yeah, let's go make some money. And <laughs> It kind of just was a natural gift for you. I was fortunate to see both sides because my dad has always been an entrepreneur. He's never had a job where he like really worked for someone. He's been a mechanic and his dad was a mechanic and mm. he just, he did, that's all he knew. So it was really dope to see just like the freedom that he had to kind of pick his own hours and times, work on what he wanted to do and really kind of like determine everything. Whereas my mom was more corporate America and I got to see the perks and benefits of that. But I also saw some of the downsides. So I think seeing both made me want to kind of try both. But I ultimately knew that entrepreneurship was the was the real route. Yeah. So it was more like a wired thing in you. It's just out of out of the gate, basically. You're like, yep, I see it. I want it. I'm gonna do it. And it came naturally. Sounds like yeah. 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 <laughs> if you're if you're if you're slinging candy at a, a summer camp and stuff, <laughs> you know, I, I was there in high school. I remember like selling the Kit Kat bars and doing all Hell that yeah. stuff. Um, lemonade stands when I was a kid. I did these horrible, horrible alien drawings and I would sell them to my neighbors. <laughs> be like, I watched this TV show and had this alien character buy my drawing. They'd give me like a couple cents for it. And I'm like, yeah. <laughs> but no one ever told me, like, my parents weren't entrepreneurial. They were very much nine to fivers or my dad worked for Boeing or still does, but you know, natural, you know, just normal jobs and careers. So I'm curious, you know, after high school, did you have you had like a I don't know, maybe a successful exit prior to to Elite Escapes and getting into this industry? Or did you have uh, just a lot of side projects that eventually were leading you to this route and path that you chose today? 
I would look back and say they were all side projects, but I think they were all significant lessons that led to Elite Escapes being the first, I don't know if you'd say like real success, but the first one that felt like it was a success. <laughs> I would say it's real success. You're, you're, <laughs> you know, you're, you're providing your own income. You're getting to do all this stuff. So I think, yeah, it's definitely a success. Yeah. It, it, it's, you know, I feel like you all of us entrepreneurs, we try a lot of different things. I feel like rarely is it that first thing that works out, but I think mm -hmm. the path of the failures is what guides you to the success because you learn sure. so many different things along the way. You learn where you need to grow, what you need to focus on, maybe how you need to shift and pivot or just become more resourceful. And looking back, I'm glad all of my previous businesses didn't pan out the way I wanted them to because I needed that to get to where I am today. So what would you say has been like the biggest failure or lesson that you look back on and always use like as like a, maybe an, a cornerstone or a North star of like, all right, we're, I remember this moment and this is kind of what has been on the back of your mind as you continue to build success and a uh, business that, you know, has gotten you yeah. obviously where you are today. Focus. And it was from a lot of a lot of things were telling me this, but I feel like we ignore it a lot just because it's yeah. so easy in today's day and age to have like shiny object syndrome and try to touch everything. But <laughs> yeah. I was just doing way too many things at one time. And I remember sitting down with a number of like people that I really trusted and mentors and just being like, Things aren't bad, but nothing is going like great or how I want it to. And I'm just like worn out and spread thin. And they're like, you just need to focus on one thing and, you know, do that one thing really, really well. And I think that that lesson is a hard lesson for a lot of entrepreneurs to learn just because of our natural yeah. spirit. But that's what ultimately helped me propel like Elite Escapes to where it needed to be. Once I let everything else go and was able to just say, okay, let me focus on this that's when I actually saw the started to see the results that I really wanted. I love that. And maybe to give you some context for this next question, I'm doing a, a session with the Rent Responsibly team on their sustainability webinar. And we're talking about designing your life and, and not the fact or the term of work-life balance and that type of stuff. We're, we're actually talking about life harmony and mm. how my biggest phrase has been, you know, designing my life, design my day, designing my life and what that harmony looks like. And you just talked about, you know, picking one thing and, and figuring out, you know, what can really can really propel it to the where it gets big and successful. How do you maybe design your life or design your your day in order to really determine if the one thing you focus on and we can use the lead escapes as an example but how did you determine that was the one thing to hone into? Was it a passion driver for you? Was it more fulfilling? Kind of what was that designed harmony experience for you? As as strange as this might sound, it was one question that was posed to me by someone. And it's now the question anytime I'm providing advice to someone that I always ask, because I think it just gives you ultimate clarity. But the question was, of everything that you're doing, if one of those things worked the way you wanted it to, which would make nothing else matter? And I just sat in that for a really long time because I think we do that a lot. But if you really think about, man, if this worked the way I wanted to, none of this, I wouldn't pay attention to anything else. Like that is ultimately the thing you want to be focused on. And so I think, and I, I also think that that answer changes over time, right? Because yeah. you might get to a certain point with something where now there might be something new that if it works out the way you want, nothing else would matter. So 
but I think it is a really good North star that will like help you figure out where you need to be putting the majority of your time and energy at, you know, today. Yeah. That's what really made you, me do it. <laughs> that's a great question. And you said you sat on it for a little bit, but did you ever have a gut answer right out the gate when you heard that question or was that really, did that gut answer kind of come to you after a little bit of time? It's like, you know, but you don't want to admit it yet, you know, because mm -hmm. at the same time, letting go of other things like is difficult. I think yeah. there's an aspect of like pride to it where you're like, yeah. man, I've been doing this. I've built this up. Like, I don't want to just let this go. I think there's an aspect of, you know, caring about what other people think like, oh man, people have known me for this or known me for doing all this thing. What if I just stopped doing it? You know, what would that do to, you know, my personal brand or my image, whatever it may be. I think it's so going through that mental battle of just like, I know that if this worked, this would be it, but am I sure that's the route I want to take? And what if, and you know, and so I think I knew off the bat, but it, it took a while for me to like actually accept it and say, and like agree to it. Like, yes, I am going to take this step and just really focus on this one thing. How much self-awareness or even emotional intelligence do you think it takes to have that type of battle with yourself internally? <laughs> I definitely think it's difficult. You have to be honest with yourself, you know, um, and you have to kind of be like open to being uncomfortable um, mm -hmm. at the expense of growing, because I think mm -hmm. you only are going to make big leaps of growth when you're uncomfortable because it's new and anything that's new is going to feel uncomfortable at first. But when you jump into something new, I'm, I'm curious to know, do you personally feel like a sense of uncomfortability or does anything new excite you where it's like <laughs> even if it's uncomfortable for somebody else to you you're like uh get over it loser this is so much fun let's figure it out or do you have that sense of like oh i don't know like kind of what goes through your hands <laughs> i think it's a little bit of both like i've come to have a love-hate relationship with that with being uncomfortable where it's like I'm excited to jump into the next uncomfortable thing because I know what it's going to do for me. But that yeah. doesn't mean that I'm not still like anxious and worried going through it. You know what I mean? Like I, I know it's nece it's like a necessary evil. So I am like at a, in, in one sense, you know, yeah, let's do it. But at the same time, I'm still like, man, this really better work out. Like, cause... <laughs> <laughs> I love that. I love that. All right, Slick Talkers, now for another dynamic sponsored duo of the podcast. I would love to introduce you to Vintory and Safely. About Vintory, we've had Brooke Fotts on the podcast, who is a founder, multiple times, and him and his team know numbers. They know data and they know marketing. They know how to help property managers just like you scale and grow their business by adding more inventory, aka more homes, into your rental program that drive the bottom line. For all of you listeners that want to learn how to scale and grow your inventory, you can get a free digital copy of Brooke's book called From Zero to 500 Properties in Five Years. And for an added bonus, if you would do a demo of the Vintory platform, you'll get a $50 gift card to Amazon. Now that's a sick deal. And now to touch on our friends at Safely.com. Safely.com helps property managers just like you and I protecting the homes that they manage from structural damage to content damage and of course bodily injury. This means plates, linens, cups, couches, tables, curtains, walls, and of course your guests themselves are protected. And this helps you by scaling your company in order to ensure that you are retaining owners and inventory in your program. If anything is broken or if anyone is hurt, you are able to make a claim through Safely and within three business days you can get 
instantly paid out to replace any items and settle any claims that happen on site without having to deduct from your owner's payouts. That's why I call these guys the Dynamic Sponsor Duo. And thank you so much for tuning into the podcast. Check out their offers in the show notes and back to the episode. Well, I want to talk about a piece that maybe isn't covered on a lot, and this will kind of tie into what we just been talking about entrepreneurship self-awareness this newness the sticking to one thing you know there's there's a lot of pieces that you know maybe get overstated but not well described and i think one thing is adding value what does that actually mean and then two people always say build systems and build a team and you've been able to do that you've been able to build systems around you know timeshare arbitrage and not saying that we're all perfect like trust me i have systems in place for my business and not every like 95 percent of the time they work there's that five percent we're like oh <laughs> shit, we, gotta, we, gotta, we gotta adjust it and whatever it might be so i'm curious for you when it comes to building a solid system and, and having a good team around that how have you approached it and what are maybe some big learning lessons that you've had in your big success with lead escapes and kind of getting into this one thing that if nothing else mattered that you would be super happy and, and not care about man i'm glad you brought this up because the whole like building systems and processes to you know leverage your business and yourself and it's one of the things that I feel like entrepreneurs, we don't focus on it enough, even like short-term yeah. rental operators. I feel like we don't focus on it enough until we get to a point where it's the only thing we can focus on, right? So a lot of times people will grow so big that they realize, oh man, my operations have to be tight or else I'm I'm at my ceiling. I'm at my capacity now. And so kind of like being just a, more aware of that on the front end that if I'm going to build something significant, I'm going to need to have a lot of systems in place. And also yeah. just taking some personal experiences from my background in corporate America, getting to work with these really large like Fortune 100 companies and seeing the type of behemoth systems that they have in place to like actually keep the machine running. You know, I started out as an auditor where you have to really break down, you get specific process areas of a business and you have to learn the business like you're like you work there. You have to know how mm -hmm. everything works top to bottom to truly be able to audit it. And I think acquiring that skill of breaking things down at a systematic level and seeing how they work and how they operate gave me the foundation necessary to try to build my own systems when it came time to do it for my business. Because I was like, okay, I remember how these people structured this and did this. I remember how teams knew what to do and, you know, how maybe, you know, people were getting notified and just different ways that you could structure that type of, of organization. So I kind of used that as the foundation and started to, to build it that way along with kind of help with, from some mentors. I might butcher this, but were you ever Six Sigma or Sigma Six? certified uh, like the certification where they can pretty much track every process and tell you where you're uh, inefficient and efficient in and all that stuff unfortunately not um, i get that question a lot and i don't know why it just kind of never came up in the different routes that i took but yeah no i'm not <laughs> okay i was just curious i'm like man it sounds like some of that stuff going on now how does this apply to your team you know uh kind of maybe walk me through your back end on is your team all remote? Do you have people on on the ground knowing that, okay, if you're in a resort or part of a, a resort network, you know, are they using their housekeeping staff and their maintenance? How does that work for you when it comes to team and culture and kind of applying that system to your business? When it comes to the team, they're all remote. And I think when it comes to having a remote team, one of the mm -hmm. things that is most important is 
information? You know, is the information accurate? If not, where can you get the information? And how efficient and organized is that information for your team? And I think if you can get that piece down, you can really start to create the the right pieces and the right systems. But the information is ultimately where it starts. So we have Notion is where we house all of our information. Everything that you should say to a guest, everything about a property. We have a guest manual down to like, these are the common things that a guest might say. These are the common types of responses that you should say so that you know how we how to have one brand voice, no matter who's communicating with the guest. You know, we have cards about every single location down to what you should be doing for parking you know where you need to go if this particular issue happens so like aggregating as much information that you can and then organizing it so that it's easy to access is like it's really the key to building any type of (laughs) significant system but that's ultimately like what we focused on for the first three to four months of the business it was really just like how do we index all of our information so that once we start going full force on this we are not running into problems and issues, whether it's just us working or we expand this team. Interactions with our guests are smooth. Everything has, uh, you know, a system to be ab- to abide by. So, yeah. Did you? So, this is the fun question. I like to kind of poke around with short-term rental people because I came from the hotel space, so I I learned standards and systems, and you know, how do you talk to guests? And that's through all Marriott's training. So, my pleasure, yes sir, mm-hmm. no sir, no ma'am, yes ma'am, all that type of stuff you know, for you, did you ever have maybe any of that experience or did you kind of just go off of what you've experienced as a traveler and what you've liked to experience when you travel? How did you kind of figure that out when kind of setting this up? Yeah, I thought about what I liked as a traveler and kind of like my experience, but I also used, you know, real-time data because we kind Mm -hmm. of started small and scaled up. So, for a long time, those first couple of months too were were iterative. I purposefully yeah. didn't want to grow. I wanted to make sure we could lay a foundation to grow on. I like to take the perspective of, um, I it's kind of cliche, but Alex Hermosi had this very, yeah. this this reel where he talks about when they're, when you want to build a skyscraper, you build a very wide and deep foundation for a really long time. Like there's months that go by when you're building a skyscraper where you're digging and going down and to people on the surface, it looks like nothing is happening, but yeah. that deep foundation in that process is what allows you to build the buildings that, you know, break the skyline. So I think that kind of taking that same approach to setting that foundation and bi- building it really deep and really wide before you start, you know, focusing on growing and scaling gives you so much more success and a leg up above a lot of other people because you have such a good foundation to build on. I love that. And you've mentioned it a little bit, a couple times, kind of maybe very shortly on mentors and and kind of having that that type of leadership and impact in your life how or who um, was a big impact to make you kind of pursue a mentor or business coach or mastermind or anything like that in the sense of making sure you are setting that mile deep mile wide foundation for your business yeah interestingly enough I had heard about Mastermind for the first time, I think. I want to say it was either in the book Think and Grow Rich by Dale mm-hmm. Carnegie or How to Win Friends and Influence People. It's one of those where they mentioned the Mastermind. But I read both of those books in my senior year of high school. And that's what like shifted my perspective to 
man, there's groups of people who are around here who work together to really just become more successful. And when you really think about it too, it's like, this makes a lot of sense. Of course, like people do that yeah. at, at a small scale, right? At, you know, in school, you have little clubs and stuff and you guys work together for a common goal. I was like, man, so I should be finding some of these if I want to be successful. And I, it was something I'd thought about and like had, was aware of, but never had taken the dive to actually like join one until I was presented with that opportunity when uh, I heard that first short-term rental podcast. That was the first time I ever was like, oh, mastermind, wait a minute, I've heard of this. This makes sense. I should look into this and maybe join it. So yeah, I think mentors are key in, in anything that you want to do. You know, Find someone who's doing it and then just listen to what they did. <laughs> For sure. And what was that podcast? I know it was short-term rental podcast. secrets. Yeah. Yeah. All right. All right. <laughs> shout out shout to out you guys. To... I did there on the network too. So yeah. Shout out to Mike Shogren and Emmanuel. You guys are killing it. That's awesome. That's awesome, man. There's so much we can go into. I want to, I want to touch on before we move to a next topic, but I, I want to touch on your experience now. I know it's early days. It's very, very early. So totally understand, but you know, I love seeing the evolution of property management companies or entrepreneurs like yourself in our space going from whether it's long-term rentals to then management arbitrage or anything in the above and then buying boutique hotels. But you are now getting into the side of development. So one, what got you to the point where you're like, yes, this makes sense. Let's develop a resort or some type of property. And two, how's your experience going so far? And what's your what's your vision with that? So to answer the first question in terms of what got me into it, I think I was I was at that same point right before I started, you know, Elite Escapes. And I kind of got to that point again. I Elite Escapes was at a really good point. I was like, okay, what's my next move? Mm. Do I buy another short-term rental? I kind of had started looking into maybe some of the more luxe short-term rentals and was like, maybe I can do that. I can look, get the cash yeah. flow that I'm thinking of, try to run that play. But I was struggling to any anything that I underwrote or you know analyzed just wasn't coming out with the numbers that I wanted. I was like, man, I, I if I'm put investing, you know, upwards of six figures into something, I want to make sure that it's going to give a substantial return. <laughs> yeah. I actually was really close to buying a deal, uh, a short term rental deal, just out of impatience. But I'm mm -hmm. glad that I didn't. And sat back and realized that this was right before Airbnb decided to make that website change that just kind of confirmed what I had already kind of, it was, was in the realm of options of considering next, but they, they essentially just told us straight up, Hey, the future of Airbnb is unique experiences and unique mm -hmm. stays. Yeah. And that is what made me say, okay, I need to focus on that. And I also, also the numbers just agree with it. If you look at Man, these these A frames, these tree houses, yeah. these tiny homes. If you look at just the cost of to build or acquire them and the type of revenue that they produce, it is outrageous. And so that's ultimately what made me decide, you know, I need to get into development. I need to go ahead and start going down this path today so that once it does start to become the norm, like the arbitrages or like, you know, some of the new things like boutique hotels are already starting to go down that path that mm -hmm. I'll already be set because, you know, first movers get rewarded. So <laughs> yeah, yeah. Early Burgess Warren, baby. I love it. Yeah. Uh, a, a great example. Someone who I've really looked up to and admired. And I first heard of her and her husband on the Netflix vacation rental show that they did, but it was Bolt Farm Treehouse. And I had Tori mm. on the podcast and she's one incredible. Her and Seth have built quite the business, but, you know, going, they've really heavily leaned in to the side of unique stays, tree houses, mirror cabins, 
glamping experiences that are just beyond luxury. Like you have yeah. just private <laughs> chef meal, all this stuff. And she was mentioning too, you know, uh, in the beginning, looking to acquire land to make this experience a reality. She almost got impatient and just was about to buy something just to buy it and say, screw it. And, you know, thank God she didn't because it ended up, it would not have been the the best one investment. It wouldn't have been the best ROI for this type of development and building. So for you, you know, I'm curious to one, what it was your, what does that vision look like? What, what are you trying to build out on this development and how would you see if you were to be your ideal guest? Walk us through your experience from booking to arrival to checkout. Like, I would love to hear it. I like that. I like that. Yeah. So for the vision, the vision is heavily drawn from data and me already seeing what's working in the market. I, I don't believe in reinventing the wheel, kind of as, in, yeah. as we talked about earlier. I like to find people who are doing what works and let's yeah. just try to do it a little bit better. So yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, there are a few unique stays nearby the areas where I'm, I'm looking to build and they are killing it and they have some common things in, or just some things in common among all of them. They have really, really good views. They have really good locations and they're designed in a way that is very aesthetically appealing and unique to the eye. And they're typically very modern and small. For some reason, people, you know, I feel like at one point, everyone's focus was more heads in beds, build bigger, yeah. buy bigger. But like today, for some reason, the, a lot of these new travelers like small, you know, cute Intimate. units. Yeah. So, right. Yeah. <laughs> so the vision is to build these unique cabins. We are finalizing design. So I don't 100% have something I can show you. I actually met with yeah. the architect and designer yesterday. Um, I, I saw your Instagram. I saw it. I saw <laughs> the Instagrams. Yeah, that was great. Yeah, he was walking me through one of his previous developments where he built just under 20 or just under 30 custom homes and was showing me wow. all the different designs and things that we could pull from as from an idea standpoint to execute the vision. But they're going to be really nice, smaller, modern, unique cabins, a lot of glass and wood. And they were positioning them all to try to have very good mount, rolling mountain views. They're within a couple of minutes of some wineries in North Georgia. So yeah, we just want to want to capture that market. And for the ideal guests that we're looking for, really those couples who want a nice romantic weekend getaway, maybe they're celebrating something like a honeymoon, a birthday, or even just trying to rekindle, you know, like I, I think those are our ideal guests. And I like to play and not necessarily play, but I like to market to stays or experiences that have significant emotions. I think people are more likely yeah. to enjoy themselves. They come into it with a very positive, excited attitude. A lot of times they're also willing to spend a little more on those kinds of experiences. So that's kind of the pocket that I want to stay in. Yeah. The lifetime memory type of exposure, I think. Is, Absolutely. Yeah, dude. It's and it's crazy how much for even myself personally, in the, in the beginning, I would say 20, like anytime before COVID, you know, I would, I wouldn't care. I'd be like, yeah, let's just travel. Let's book this, let's book that. Like, can we all sleep? All right, great. We're good. And I've even caught myself now, like even when I'm traveling, just even thinking of uh, I'll use Nashville as an example, going to a conference. I'm usually just give me a hotel room that's closest to the venue. I don't care. I'm just trying to make sure I have a place to put my shit and sleep and, and, and shower in the morning. But <laughs> with this kind of last conference, I was very 
kind of actually anti hotel room and really wanted to have that thing where it's like, all right, I want memories. I want to be with people that fuel me up and I maybe want to get you know creative in the sense of how we're going to spend our extra time. Are we going to go out or can we have, you know, people at the house and, and continue to have like relationship building opportunities. That was something just even like a little thing. It wasn't like, oh my God, that was a yeah. a rekindling moment for me. But it was still like a intentional emotional connection where that was kind of at the forefront of my my brain, even for a conference. So mm-hmm. for a, a leisure travel, a personal event, significant other, maybe even just an unplug weekend where I don't have to have my computer screen with all my blue light glasses that I have to wear because my <laughs> eyes hurt, you know, all that stuff. You know, it's it's really cool. And I, I love that that vision. It it just brings out that hospitality piece in our business. I, I think too many times, and you're a numbers guy, so I, I'm really glad to even hear you say this that it's not just the numbers, it's about the experience and the hospitality outside of the numbers. Cause I think if you can hit that emotional piece, your numbers are gonna be fine. You're Absolutely. Worry about the numbers. You'll break the projections. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. <laughs> Exactly. And I know we haven't gotten to talk about this much actually on this episode, but you've gotten to experience and play with AI and, you know, ChatGPT, you know, shout out to Guest Guru. You've, you've been able to get to meet Tom Absolutely. And, and be a part of that whole venture. But we've been doing this thing where I'm asking the guests before every guest without telling them who you are to ask you a question without, again, telling them like, hey, this is Brian. This is his experience, blah, blah, blah. So we just had Jesse DePinto, who's the CEO and founder of Front Desk, which is a big urban operator. They have, I think they're in 30 markets. They have 15,000 guests per month. They're, they're, they're pretty, pretty great company. And I love, I love Jesse, but we were talking about ChatGPT and AI for about an hour and his question related to AI. So this was perfect timing on how he didn't know <laughs> who you were and that you've actually dabbled in this space. But his question to you is where do you think AI is going to make the biggest impact on your hospitality business? Wow. <laughs> yeah. For for my specific business, and honestly, I feel like for most other people, yeah. is likely going to be from a guest communication standpoint. I think that that is an area of the experience that is heavily dependent upon a lot of things that are difficult for people sometimes, whether that's coming up with the right thing to say, being able to respond very quickly. And I think it also can learn you with AI just as well as you, right? So if it can almost think through those decisions and draft you up something very quickly that you can just say yes or no to, Mm -hmm. I think that's a game changer for anyone in the short-term rental space, you know, regardless of the size of your business. So and, you know, like we were just talking about, Guest Guru is already kind of going down this path. Yeah. Shout out, uh, you know, Tom and his team. But I think that that is, is a, going to be a very, very large opportunity within the space. I think there's going to be opportunities when it comes to other things like design. I do think, yeah. you know, um, designers will be able to maybe leverage AI to get even, you know, more unique things to source and, you know, build out. But I think that the biggest impact to the everyday person in terms of the hospitality industry is going to be guest communications. Yeah, 100%. I love that. And I, have you heard of Full House? They're, I think they're they're based in Toronto, Canada. But have you heard mm-hmm. of Full House at all? So nah. shout out to Andrea. She's the CEO and founder, but they just actually launched, I think, last year during VRMA, they launched their AI design tool. Mm. So it's yeah. actually a design tool and their design company. And they're they're going pretty hard on it. And she's really like, it's actually a pretty good product. I know 
our mutual friend Tatiana Taylor Tate, mm. shout out to her as well, was able to play with it and was like, dude, what the heck? This is crazy. So wow. if, if a designer can react like that to some technology, I, I think that's that's a good sign. Hopefully see that because I'm tired of these boring short term rentals popping up on the market, man. It's killing me. <laughs> <laughs> Make short term rentals great again. <laughs> yeah, seriously. Let's get the hats going. Start making that stuff. <laughs> I love it. And Brian, dude, it's been really great to chat with you and to get to hear your story and your lessons and learnings along the way. I would love to give you opportunity. If any listener wanting to you know discover more with you or, or reach out, what's the, the place you would want them to connect? with you and, and and chat up and get to get to meet and talk they can follow me on instagram is probably where i'm the most active at the real estate hacker all one word and then if they want to you know really connect i have a monthly call that i do that's free it's more mm -hmm. of like a q a session you can yeah. click the link in my bio and join that monthly call and you know we can catch up and see if maybe i can help you further and then i also offer one-on-one -on -one consultations in the event you know you're, you're looking for some specific help within short-term rentals so yeah. Awesome. I love it, man. Well, sweet. You heard it here first, Slick Talkers. Make sure you like and subscribe to all things Brian Hacker, the real estate hacker. Uh, <laughs> it's his actual last name is Hatcher, but I had to had to get just get the hack in there. Um, so thank you again, Brian, so much for being on the podcast. I seriously appreciate your time, your story, your relationship and friendship and the things that you're doing in the space. It's actually really cool to hear. It's a breath of fresh air to finally get exposed to my first timeshare arbitrage. Um, <laughs> so I, I know I'll probably go down a rabbit hole with that in the future. But thank you so much again for being on the show. And I just want to say appreciate you. Yeah, thank you for having me. It was a great time as always. You know, I love what you guys are doing. I love what you're building, especially here. So yeah, man, just keep going. I love it. All right, Slick Talkers, make sure you like and subscribe. Do all the things in the show notes. Give Brian some love and we'll see you guys all again next week. Thank you so much for listening and thank you to our show partners for making Slick Talk, the hospitality podcast possible. We hope you enjoyed the show and we would love to connect with you outside of the podcast. So you can follow us on all of our social media channels for daily hospitality content or find us on slicktalkthepodcast.com. And don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe so you never miss an episode. I'm your host, Will Slickers, and we will see you guys all again next week.